Welcome to Forecast News In Conversation With. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau, and I am here with co-founder, CEO of BitMEX, Arthur Hayes, who just got off the stage with Muriel Rubini, the tussle in Taipei. Is it the tangle? Tangle, tangle in Taipei. The tangle in Taipei. We're on location here at the Asia Blockchain Summit here in Taipei. And it was watching two heavyweights go at it in the ring. Noriel Rubini, very, very vocal about the industry uh, with some very colorful language. And you're defending the industry. It's, but you are defending your book. You are defending an industry in which you have placed bets. You have made your money. You're running BitMEX right now. What is the promise that you see that Nouriel Rubini says is a scam? I see the promise in that humans for the first time have a choice in how they transact money and a choice between a government, you know, central bank led monetary system and one that's led by open source software and math. Now this is the first time in history that people can actually choose a system of monetary transfer. Usually it's forced upon them and they sort of just live with it and they, and, they, and they get by. Now people actually have a choice. And all I'm saying is that give people a choice and let's see what happens. We don't know what the ecosystem will look like in five to 10 years, but the, the default action should not be to, to shut it down and not give human society a choice in how it transacts, you know, moves money from value uh, from person to person. But you saw monetary value. You saw business value in creating BitMEX. Uh, and one of the criticisms, huge one, is that you're based in Seychelles. Why are you based in Seychelles? Um, because the Seychelles is the friendly environment for companies doing our type of business. Um, we actually have a great contacts uh, in the government. They want to establish a financial services sandbox for crypto, and they're trying to upgrade their economy by being friendly to businesses that want to bring jobs and economic prosperity to their islands. And this is no different than Bermuda and reinsurance or the Caymans or BVI and hedge funds. So it's you know these nations where they don't have entrenched financial powers that be that they have to answer to, they can actually move with the times, and innovate financially, and bring business to their economies. And what one would argue is that, and we're getting into it now, mm. but one would argue that with a higher regulatory environment, it protects the retail investors. Whereas in Seychelles or Caymans or any of these jurisdictions, the regulatory environment may be friendlier to you, but in actual fact, then that would be less advantageous for the very people who use your exchange. How do you respond to that? So the first thing is I think people don't really understand uh, what we do. So obviously we offer uh, leveraged trading in the form of uh, derivative contracts. Now, unlike a traditional exchange, which most people are familiar with and sort of in, um, combine us into, when you go and open up an account with, say, Scott Trade or TD Ameritrade, uh, you sign an agreement and basically it puts your entire financial net worth on the line. You go and short Tesla stock, Elon commits, you know, possibly securities fraud on Twitter, says, you know, we're going to pump this stock up to 420 because of this, this takeout, and you get taken out and you owe more money to the broker than you have in your account. Your broker can actually legally sue you and take your financial assets. Now, on BitMEX, yes, we offer very highly leveraged trading, but we protect people because you can only lose what you put in. So if you put in one Bitcoin and the trade goes massively against you, the most that you can lose is one Bitcoin. So it's limited liability for all the participants. They're not risking their financial future only if they choose to. 
Now, maybe you only chose to put a $10,000 position on a stock in the United States, but all of a sudden you owe your broker $100,000. That's a system that is regulated. Our system, we try to protect our customers because we want them to stick around longer. And they're sticking around? Absolutely. And they're growing? How are you growing the business? How are you growing the business in the midst of crypto winter, in the midst of contraction in the market, and what we're seeing is a recovery right now? I mean, luckily for our business, um, people actually are willing to pay for our services. So we're not dependent on the largest of venture capital to continue to hire um, and pipe people into the company. Even in a downturn, people still want to trade. So they care about the volatility. As long as things are going up and going down, people are going to put trades through our platform and we're going to earn revenue. And luckily for us, the exchange business, as probably anyone knows, is very profitable if you're one of the leading companies. That's true in equities, and that's true in, in Bitcoin as well. So luckily, we were able to actually grow our headcount during the crypto winter, continue to improve our technology because we really believe in crypto, and we're not going to divest or run away from a, you know, a slight blip in the market. Now, you and I started in traditional markets, actually. You started at Deutsche Bank. You then went over to Citi. Uh, you last uh, in the traditional markets was head trader of Citi's Asia ETF market making. You took a lot of this talent into crypto, into Bitcoin, into blockchain. What was the promise that you saw when you started BitMEX? Um, so I, I, I'm an economic history nerd, uh, and what I saw was a transition point in how people deal with money. And this usually happens in our society you know, every two or three hundred years. So we're moving from a analog society in terms of money transfer to a digital one. That's going to be hugely disruptive. And I saw a chance with um, Bitcoin and crypto to actually create a company that could benefit from this hugely chaotic transformation. And the great thing about Bitcoin is it's permissionless. There's a piece of software. Me and my co-founders saw we had a business model. We didn't have to ask permission to build this. In what other industry could three guys go and try to build an exchange that does billions of dollars a day turnover? It's just almost impossible to do in the traditional space, given all the things and all the people that need to allow you to do it. No one allows you to do anything in crypto. If you have an idea and it fits within the technical framework, you can go and do it. And if you can find customers, you can build a real business. That's what's powerful about crypto. It's powerful. It's disciplined. It's um, what takes a lot of actually traditional knowledge of uh, infrastructure to apply it to a new economy. The problem was in 2017, the ICO market, everybody got in wild, wild west. Nobody knew what was credible or incredible and who got wrecked, which is lose all their money, which very much has been a criticism of this entire market. As you saw that happen around you, how did you deal with it, address it, try to fight against it, or did you participate in it? Well, at the end of the day, um, you know, if you look at statistics for new business ventures, most 90, 90 to 95% of all new business ventures fail within the first five years. So if we're talking about a completely new way of raising money for companies and new people and entrepreneurs building technology, why should we assume that greater than 95% of them will be worth zero in a very short period of time? We shouldn't. So the statistics of all of these ICOs and tech projects that are now almost worthless in the 90 to 95 percentile actually fits with traditional data. So it's just that it's, you know, the media is talking about it you know, because it happened so quickly. But if you go and start a restaurant, most likely 
you'll be worth zero in a few years too. Why, why should an ICO be any different? So I don't see this as being a problem. The good thing about crypto in these financial markets is they're open. And that if you have a bad business model, you get to zero very quickly rather than being protected by some sort of vested interest and this zombie company is kept along longer than it should be. And so it really, you bring up a great point in that what truly is cryptocurrency? Um, you know, you characterize it as uh, financial privacy, financial freedom, the ability of returning the economy back to the individual. There's power in that. And how is that, in your view, better than the current system that we have right now? I don't know that it's better, but at least you have a choice. And if the current system for your circumstances isn't to your liking, at least you can opt out and choose something different. Now, a small percentage of people, through their knowledge of what's happening in this industry, have opted out and created an industry that has a market cap in you know, the two to $300 billion uh, range. And so that's all I'm saying, it's, it's a choice. And there's very few times in human history where you have choices like this for, of a government-controlled system versus one controlled by self-interested parties who don't even need to know each other. That's all the crypto is, it's choice. That choice exists now for billions of people uh, accessing the internet with simply a smartphone, and that's happening in emerging and frontier markets, not only in Asia, but in Africa and really around the world. How does that change the economy for those people, for the unbanked, for those who weren't able to participate for a very long time? Or is that a false paradigm? Well, I mean, the internet in general, maybe just stepping back from crypto, has given people you know, choice in how they consume information. Uh, it's sort of taken away the sort of um, one man sort of dictating what the, the people below them understand. So this has been a complete democratization of information, media, and now we're moving on to finance, choice in how you manage your finances. Maybe you could use an Alipay, or you could use Bitcoin, or you could use Libra. Each one of these systems will compete for customers and offer actual goods and services rather than having to petition the government and pay off some official to be allowed to access the market. The internet has democratized all that and allowed companies to bring real value to people. And so that's giving this choice, maybe better, maybe not, but at least you as an individual can assess your situation and make an informed decision. But isn't there power in regulation? Um, yes, but I think most regulation is, is basically driven by, we want to create a moat, we want to collect a toll for a particular activity. Whether it's financial, you know, why do you know, you know, hairdressers need a license? You know, in a lot of your states, you need to go pay the government a license to do somebody's hair, right? So this is the sort of regime that regulation creates. It's usually not about protecting end consumers because the free market, in many cases, is better than one that's controlled by a few individuals. Central planning works for a time, but over time, usually doesn't. Well, actually, the hairdresser license exists so that I can trust you with the service that that you have a license you've been accredited by somebody that you've passed some sort of regulatory hurdle because you've really wanted to be there now with cryptocurrency you really want to be there through mining and through math and decoding right um so that i guess in in essence is the technological regulation that is built into bitcoin that's open and, and it's, it's not, open. But it's not, a, it's not dictated by fiat. But for everybody else who's a mass adopter, right. that's a little bit too complex to understand. How would you explain it? I would explain this. You, don't, you shouldn't have to understand it. The people building these solutions should make it so easy, the value proposition so clear that you just use it, right? We, we, have, we all have iPhones. Did anyone go on 
Google and look at how do I swipe my iPhone, right? Steve Jobs and Ivy made the iPhone so intuitive, the value proposition so clear that you just picked up this device and you knew how to use it intuitively as a human being. That's what we need to do for crypto and payments. Now, that doesn't mean it's gonna be successful, but when you abstract to that level of simplicity, you really do understand the true essence of what you're trying to sell to someone. Facebook Libra, your thoughts? I think it will, if it's, if allowed to roll out, will completely destroy the revenue potential of commercial banks. Because at the end of the day, Facebook controls 2 billion customers. They control our attention. Uh, we give them all of our personal information. They know more about us than the bank. Usually in the past, it was the bank that knew the most about somebody because of the most contact with them in that circumstance. Facebook or any other company using Libra can originate a loan at a lower cost than a commercial bank. They don't have branches and you know highly paid people uh, to offer these services. And most importantly, Facebook and a lot of big tech companies have so much in the terms of retained earnings, they can lend off balance sheet without having to fund themselves. So if I'm Facebook and I'm on and I can you know, implement this on Instagram, you see a nice pair of shoes that you want to buy, you can't afford it. Um, they've seen through your social media history that you've opted into sharing that, okay, I think this person's a good credit. Here's a thousand US dollars at I don't know, 5% annualized yield. You can go buy a pair of shoes in Libra. They can now lend at the point of sale and number one, increase the amount of revenue that's going through their platform. The merchants are happier. Facebook's earning revenue and they're sort of disintermediate, you know, getting off of the ad revenue, which I think it's becoming clear that ads in a crowded social media context are not really that effective. Is it a cryptocurrency? No, it's not a cryptocurrency. It's a basket of fiat currencies represented on a digital permissioned ledger. And so do you think that there is room for both? Both a permissioned ledger, a digital currency, and cryptocurrency. Why, why um, are both confused with each other? And do you think there is room for both to exist as its own distinct product? I think there definitely is room for both because Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies represent a different value proposition than a uh, centralized way of sending money around. Now, right what is now, that value proposition. Well, right now, because of the technology, it's faster and easier to have a centralized system. Right? WeChat Pay is very fast um, because it's owned by Tencent. Uh, they don't have to get consensus amongst self-interested parties. That's extremely energy intensive relative to a centralized organization controlling what goes into uh, the record uh, of transactions. Now, that's great for consumer payments, paying for a cup of coffee. It's not great if you worry about your financial privacy. So if you worry, if that's something I worry to, and to most people it's not, then you're gonna use a different system for certain types of payments. And so that is really, again, it's a choice. They don't offer the same value proposition. Will Bitcoin beat Libra in paying for a coffee? Probably not. But if you are, say, a politically exposed person and um, you get shut out of the, the Libra system because you know, some government said, please you know, don't allow this person to transact and now you can't you know, buy your groceries in the world there's no cash or something like that, that, then you could use another form of payment that is globally accepted because the world recognizes that this algorithm um, that is encoded in Bitcoin is actually has value. One would say that fiat itself is a very closed system. Right? We often forget that central banks, um, we talk about controlling the markets through printing money or quantitative easing um, and uh, you know, controlling the interest rates. Federal Reserve and central banks around the world do that in a decentralized way. Doesn't this expose the global economy to more 
vulnerabilities to instability when central banks are trying to maintain stability in a decentralized way, it's free market. Well, I don't think Bitcoin's going to be the uh, harbinger of collapse for central banks. They, they do enough damage to themselves uh, already. The fact that we have a credit-led business cycle means that at some point, people recognize that it's gone too far and things contract. And that has nothing to do with uh, cryptocurrency. You know, this is not a new thing for, central, for governments to print money, essentially to give goodies out to their population. It's happened you know, since the time of Rome and other, or, and, it all, and it always ends in the same way, hyperinflation and government collapse. So when, it, when will that happen? I have no idea, but that will not be precipitated by anything that happens in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. I think it was interesting that, um, you know, Rubini and you really kind of um, tried to find value or not value, which is <laughs> Nouriel's point of view. But really, how did we get here anyway? I mean, Bitcoin was born in the ashes of 2008 global financial crisis. What was it that people voted for with their own hard-earned dollars? Well, they, they voted for something different. They thought that, you know, at the end of the day, if a private company or companies made bad decisions that they would suffer those bad decisions and that's society as a whole and society as a whole dictated by the representative governments no one was asked to vote on a plebiscite for these things decided that they were going to bail out these financial institutions who had done you know bad or scandalous things over the past you know 10 to 20 years so it's the fact that no one had a say in whether or not this recapitalization happened that's what people were upset about. Now, maybe they would have chosen the same thing, but they never were asked. They were just dictated to. And now there's another system, a system that is just math. Anyone can look at the code. There's no um, secrecy. There's no, I know better than you, just trust me. It's right here in the open. It's open source. So there's none of this sort of uh, hide and seek that governments and central banks play because at the end of the day, they're all con men. It's a confidence game. You have to have confidence that the federal government can make good on these fiat currency promises. You come from that tradition. You worked for Deutsche Bank. You worked for Citi. You worked in that traditional market. Now let's talk about BitMEX. You saw your value in, in the cryptocurrency market. Uh, let's talk about Crypto Futures Exchange. Where are you going with that? What is the promise that you see with BitMEX? So at the end of the day, you know, I'm a derivatives trader, um, and what you witness in most asset market, all the asset markets, is that derivatives trade in a larger volume than the spot market. So back when I got into crypto in 2013, the major spot exchanges were already in existence. And if you, you know, take a look at the top 20 exchanges, most of them have been around since 2012 to 2014. So that boat had already sailed. But what, where there was a niche was derivatives markets. It was very underdeveloped. There were a few exchanges which I thought were not offering the right types of products and services. And I really believed that I wanted to be part of this industry. So I used my experience in derivatives to build a derivatives-only trading platform. How do you future-proof yourself, though, in a tightening regulatory market uh, across the U.S., uh, EU, FATF just came out um, that requires the $1,000 uh, KYC and AML. Um, how are you future-proofing yourself against tightening regulations around the world? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to offer products that are of value to a consumer at a price that makes sense. I can never, we will never be able to predict what sort of uh, regulations happen. All I know is that regulations will change, and where something some business model may not, may not make sense now, another business model opens up. But at the end of the day, I know that people like to trade financial assets. Um, and they do it in other markets, 
than Bitcoin and they'll do it in Bitcoin too. We just have to find a way to offer them products. And the good thing is we have the financial resources to tinker. We're not really starting out from scratch trying to find our way in you know, this, you know, I guess maybe worsening business climate, if you can say that. So we have time, we're fine. How are you thinking about um, uh, regulatory exposure and liability? Well, the first thing is be honest operator. So don't steal people's money, um, have good security, try not to get hacked. Those are the number one things. Everything else is sort of a secondary concern. Um, just because you're regulated, if you're a dishonest organization, you're a dishonest organization. So that is what we strive for at BitMEX is making sure that we put our customer first, we put the safety of their funds first, and I think if you solve for that, a lot of these regulatory issues sort of wash away. Now, you, you are very vocal about you know, the need for, for this kind of, um, uh, I guess, freedom of the market, right? But increasingly what we're seeing is that the regulators are coming in and a lot of crypto exchanges are speaking now with the regulators and working in concert with each other. Are you doing the same at BitMEX? Well, I think, the, I guess, taking a step back, in terms of free markets, people reporting suspicious, suspicious transactions or, you know, AYC, AML, which exchanges have been doing for years, nothing's really uh, changing. It's different than sort of saying we're going to determine what we think the price this asset to trade on our exchange. The second that any exchange tries to do that, the crypto markets, given how perfectly competitive they are, will disabuse them of that notion. And the best thing about crypto is that just because you're number one today doesn't mean you're going to be number one next year. It's a permissionless technology. Anyone can start a new exchange. If you're trying to curtail the free market from operating and bringing value to customers, you will not be in business very long. So regulation or no regulation, you still have to put the customer first. We're seeing a lot of geo-blocking, though. Are you doing that at BitMEX? Does it expose you to uh, SEC and CFTC and, uh, and the U.S. regulatory? I mean, we've, we've exited the U.S. since 2015. Mm -hmm. that's, and that's not just a crypto phenomenon, that's just a banking phenomenon. I, mm. I mean, I'm a U.S. citizen, unfortunately. I live, in, uh, I live in Asia, and I'm denied banking services routinely because of the passport that I hold. I might as well be from Iran or North Korea, mm -hmm. as far as they're concerned. Mm -hmm. So the balkanization of finance due to overreaching U.S. regulations is a fact in regular finance as well as crypto, and we've chosen not to participate in that at all. Okay, so how, how do you evolve then? How do you grow? How do you grow your, your liquidity pool of people who are based wherever they're based and exposed to those rules? How are you going to be able to tap those markets for liquidity? Well, maybe we won't be able to tap those markets, but other companies can. Um, mm. And there will be organizations and trade shops that can sort of straddle those lines. They can trade in one jurisdiction that other people can't trade in in another, and there's arbitrage. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you know money still moves around the world, even given all these regulations in you know, traditional assets and, and in crypto, I have no uh, worry that people will find a way to bridge these you know, silos of liquidity. But the number one thing is we just need to give more information about Bitcoin and crypto to people. If more people hold Bitcoin, there's more types of financial services that people can offer them. I mean, you are hiring talented people uh, from the regulatory world to now join uh, BitMEX. Uh, your CEO, uh, Angeline Kwan, comes from SFC yes. in Hong Kong. So how is that dynamic changing? How are these conversations internally helping shift the business and helping grow the business? Well, you know, at the end of the day, we want to professionalize uh, BitMEX from a very small company to, you know, our goal as a company is to be the largest and most profitable exchange in the world, uh, beating even the, the CME. So that obviously requires getting the best uh, talent out there and people with the right contacts in government and regulatory 
agencies. And, you know, a lot of these people, they want something new. They've been doing this job for, you know, 10, 20 years. This is a new industry. Um, there's different things that maybe they didn't like about the business culture where they are from that is, you know, happening here. It's a sort of more free. People can be themselves. So the conversation we're having with people, take a chance. Here's a new way of doing things. And guess what? We can pay you if market, if not above, because we are adding value to our customers. So we're actually getting amazing talent. Do you think it's a combative relationship right now uh, between regulators and exchanges like yourself? Or is it more collaborative? Is it's it evolving? A, it's a spectrum. So okay. every every And where would you put BitMEX on that spectrum? I mean, so it's a spectrum in terms of, of countries, right? Mm. So you, on one end, you, you have countries where they have such a long history of established financial players that they're going to be unwilling to bend the laws, not bend the laws, but change the laws to fit the new technology of the day. You have other countries that have no financial services infrastructure and they see crypto as their chance to become relevant in the world because they're going, they, you know, there's no way that they can become a US dollar swap spanking center, but mm. maybe they can become the home for crypto companies. Maybe these crypto companies can bring jobs to their country. So depending on sort of the legacy system that a country has, that'll be how friendly they are to crypto. And in my view, the company, sorry, the countries that really embrace financial change and technology will be the ones in, in the next hundred years that outpace those that just defer to how things were done over the past hundred years. If you look at the United States, for example, if you look at them in the 19th century, they were you know, the backward hicks of, of the world. And they sort of transitioned by being a little bit more open to new ideas to where they are today. Now, would I say that they're the paragon of financial inclusion and innovative, innovative technologies? Absolutely not. So that's how the cycle changes. BitMEX, will it ever become a regulated exchange? We are regulated in a home jurisdiction of mm -hmm. um, the Seychelles, and we're looking at getting licenses all around the world, and we invest in uh, Bitcoin exchanges that have licenses all around the world. Okay, all around the world, including the U.S.? We do not think that the United States presents uh, a good business opportunity for the products that we think the customers would like to trade. And so you're uh, removing 330 million people from your equation? But I'm adding $6 billion. You're adding $6 billion. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of emerging markets, frontier markets, uh, are embracing um, the thought of blockchain and cryptocurrency to leapfrog itself into a global economy. How will BitMEX engage with those countries? So we're investing in a lot of um, startups um, in emerging markets where we think that uh, crypto could play an important part. Um, recent investment that we made was in an exchange called PDAX. They have a license from the Philippine Central Bank to do uh, fiat to crypto uh, trading. So we're looking for these types of opportunities. Um, people who have strong local connections, who can interface with the local regulators and offer the ability for these people to on-ramp into crypto. And maybe at some point they will interface with the BitMEX product, but that's not really the concern for us. BitMEX ever gonna help a central bank come up with its own digital or cryptocurrency? I don't really think that's our, our business model. There's plenty of uh, consortium that will charge them a lot of money to do that. You ever gonna participate with Facebook Libra? Um, we've, we're thinking about it. We're looking mm. at it. Why? Well, two billion people have access to digital money. They might want to trade something. We might be a place where they can trade it. Five years from now, what are we going to see from BitMEX for this industry? Uh, what the thing that we're working on very closely is fixed income products. We're um, going to be helping to shape and launch the Bitcoin bond market for high quality companies to issue native Bitcoin uh, debt instruments. Arthur Hayes, a pleasure. Thank you. All right, great to see you, you in too. Taipei.